Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. My name is Andrew Frezza, and in today's show, I'm gonna be sharing with you guys everything that I learned working a nine to five sales job selling cruises. And this is a job that I held back in 2008 to 2010. It was my first real job. I had just gotten out of college, just got done with a very short stint in professional baseball with the Boston Red Sox organization. And I went right into this sales job that I had found on Craigslist selling cruises for Norwegian Cruise Line. And we were working in an office. So we were not on the ships. We were working in a satellite office in Sunrise, Florida, which is basically West Fort Lauderdale. And there was about 150 of us that were in that office selling cruises plus some management. And we had to be on the phone for the entire day. So we never saw our clientele. We actually had to wear uh, suits to work every single day, even though we never actually saw our customers. And we were smiling and dialing. We were making phone calls, sales calls each and every day for the majority of our day. We were an outbound team. So we would occasionally get inbound leads where people would call in ready to book or ready to ask questions. But for the most part, it was on us to generate that business. A lot of the people that we reached out to were um, like warm leads, I would say, not hot leads. So every day we would get a few hot leads each day. But for the most part, the people that we were calling were warm and, and cold leads. These were people that had sailed years ago. These were people that had ordered a brochure months ago. Some of these people were interested in cruising, but many of them were not at that moment. So we had to be on the phone trying to sell people that uh, in many cases were not coming up to us to buy at that time. And one of the first lessons that I learned working this position was that if you wanna overcome the fear of selling, you have to put in the repetitions. I remember when I first got the job and I remember first telling my mom that I had gotten hired for this position that I was gonna take it. And her first thing that she said to me was, you hate talking on the phone. You don't even like talking to your friends or like talking to us on the phone. How are you gonna to talk to people on the phone all day long and actually enjoy that? Um, and I, I knew I had enjoyed cruising in the past. I'd been on several cruises before um, and I knew I enjoyed talking about cruises. So that, that was kind of the, the silver lining for me where I thought I would enjoy this position. But there was definitely a fear there of talking on the phone. There was a big fear of selling prior to starting this position. And the thing that got me over the hump was the productivity standards that were required of us each and every day. So every single day that we showed up to the office, we had to either hit 150 calls, five hours of talk time on the phone, or three bookings. In order for us to get credit for really even being there on a given day and hit productivity for that day, we had to hit one of those three metrics. And many times you would get close to one, uh, all three, you'd be slightly below, but you had to hit at least one of those. And once you hit one of those, you were pretty much good for the day. You know, it's not like you would go home, you had to stay and work, but you felt like it was a successful day and then everything else was a bonus. So think about those numbers for a second, 150 calls. We were not getting a lot of inbound calls. Many of these were us dialing out to those warm leads. Five hours of talk time, that only included the time that you were actually on the phone talking with someone or connected leaving a voicemail. It didn't count the time that you were on the, at your desk. It didn't count the time that you were sending emails or talking to a coworker. It was five hours of actual talk time. And then for bookings, every room counted as a booking. So if you sold three rooms to like a family on the same ship, that counted as three bookings. So uh, sounds not too hard to do, but some of the best people there 
uh, would average between 50 and 100 bookings per month. A really, really good month was over 100 bookings in a month. So to average three in a day um, wasn't that easy to do. Um, it took some work to do and you weren't guaranteed to get your three, even if you were a pretty good sales rep. So having those really high thresholds really got me over the fear of selling because it didn't matter if one or two people turned me down. I had to get to those numbers. I had to go from the very first time I sat down in the morning to start my day, I had to start calling. I had to start reaching out to people. And by having this really big threshold of people to reach out to, it really helps you get over the fear of selling. So what I commonly see in gym ownership or with coaches is that they feel like there's a finite number of opportunities that they have to sell. And most of that's because they only take a few opportunities to sell people. You know, they have that one person that approached them about personal training, or they have a couple walk-ins that, uh, you know, is interested in signing up for the gym. And they, the gym owner or the coach feels like, oh my God, this is my only opportunities to convert people. But you have opportunities every single day. You could be spending your days going out to, to businesses, going out to events, talking to your members about their goals and what they're interested in and how can we help them get to that next level. And if you're in this mindset where you're, everything that you do is selling in that sense, then everything is an opportunity and you just constantly go from one to the next to the next. You know, you don't care when people say no to you when they're one of 150 people, you know, and you expect that when you're gonna make 150 calls in a day that 148 of those people are basically gonna say no in some way, shape, or form. So I would encourage you guys to not get caught up in the one or two people that may or may not buy your service. Keep going one opportunity to the next to the next. It's all about the numbers. It's about reaching enough people. If you put enough seeds out there, if you reach out to enough people, enough of those people will convert. So instead of worrying too much about the conversion side of things, just try to keep planting more seeds out there. The second big lesson that I learned at NCL is you have to believe in what you are selling. And as gym owners and coaches, that seems obvious. I mean, most of us got into this industry because we love what we are selling. We were either members of that service and it encouraged us to wanna to be a coach or wanna be a gym owner because of how much we loved it. Um, or we've just always been surrounded by sports and fitness and we can't see ourselves doing anything else. That's the easy part. But when I want you guys to think about this idea of believing in what you're selling, I want you guys to think about it in the context of gym owners who are adding additional services or additional offerings to your gym. So a big example for us is our BeachFit program. A lot of gyms out there are looking to do something similar to BeachFit by adding a bootcamp program. But a lot of them are adding it not because they want to add it, not because they think it's a valuable service, they're doing it because they think that that's what their members want or they think that the market can't handle a, a more hardcore version of CrossFit. And they're trying to change the CrossFit name or offer a watered down version of their CrossFit offering to get this person in the door that isn't interested in doing the CrossFit program either because of the name or what they've heard about that program. And I don't think that's a good enough reason to do that, okay? So for us, yes, BeachFit has elements of um, I don't want to say a scaled down version of CrossFit, but it has elements of CrossFit where we're doing that thing with dumbbells instead of barbells. But we don't think about it as a watered down version at, at all. And actually the way we attack our programming is we have elements in BeachFit 
that we would love to do in CrossFit, but CrossFitters really aren't as open to it as BeachFitters are. So in BeachFit, we do a lot more tempo work. We do a lot more core work. We do a lot more aerobic work in general. Um, we do a ton of band stuff. Uh, we do a ton of functional bodybuilding stuff as well. So these are all elements of stuff that we're like, we would love to actually program more into CrossFit, but that type of person isn't really looking to do that stuff. So BeachFit is an avenue for us to insert more of these things into the programming and do more things that we wanna do as programmers that we feel is beneficial to our members that is a completely different experience. So we can attract a different clientele. And for us, it's not about, you know, most bootcamp programs, it's like, all right, we wanna get this person sweat and it's gonna be a 30 to 45 minute class and this person just wants to sweat. They don't wanna learn, they don't wanna be taught, they don't wanna be coached, they just wanna come in and sweat. So yes, we give them a little bit of that, we give them a little bit of what they want in that sense, but we also give them a lot of what we feel that they need, even if it's not exactly what they want. And that combination of both allows us to really believe in that program and, and we can sell it because of how much we believe in it. So that same thing is true with you know Olympic lifting programs or gymnastics programs. Don't just be adding these auxiliary services just because you think the market wants it. There has to be an angle in it for you that you really love and fully believe in. The third big lesson that I learned at NCL is that there is a lot of money in this world and it is not our job to decide how other people spend their money. And this became very clear to me at NCL in the, in the two years that I was there. When I first started, I sold the way that I bought. So I had been on a ton of cruises in the past and most of the time when I had gone on cruises, I had gone with friends or family and we didn't spend any time in the room. So we would get cheap, the cheapest inside room on the ship, the one with no windows, so it's pitch black all day long unless you have the lights on in the room. And I love the inside room because number one, it saved me money that I could spend on food and drinks and other stuff on the ship. But number two, if I wanted to come into the, the room in the middle of the day and take a nap, I could do it, it was pitch black. If I wanted to sleep in the morning because I was hungover from the night before, I could do that as well. So to me, an inside room was actually an advantage because not just because of the cost savings, but because I thought it was a better experience for what I was looking to get out of cruising. When I went to go start selling cruises, I started to sell that same way, thinking that people went on cruises for similar reasons that I went on cruises. And I thought that a lot of them were looking to save money, when in fact, a lot of them were looking to have the best possible experience they could possibly have. So yes, we had some people that would cruise every single year. Some of those people would get inside rooms, some of those people would get balcony rooms, but they pretty much knew what they want every single time. But there was a ton of people that cruised once every five years, once every 10 years, once in a lifetime. These people were looking to make this an unforgettable experience. A lot of them were doing it for anniversaries or milestone birthdays. And they, the money was less significant, far less significant for these people because they were looking to have the best possible experience they could have. So in order for me to really start selling to these people, I had to actually listen more to what they were saying. I had to become more empathetic to their needs rather than being selfish to my needs as a cruiser. And since then, I've matured a little bit as a cruiser. I've been on ships and I've had balcony rooms. I've been in suites before and I understand the value. So it's come full circle for me where a little bit was listening to the client, but then also too was being able to experience that thing and realizing how valuable it is to go in a balcony or in a suite. 
and my wife and I did our honeymoon cruise in Alaska in a balcony room and it was the most unforgettable vacation I have ever had. It was an incredible experience. And now when friends and family go on cruises, even though I have zero vested stake in them spending money on that ship, 99% of the time I am telling that person that they cannot afford to go less than a balcony. They have to get a balcony. It is that much of a game changer as it relates to their experience. The other thing that really helped me turn the corner as it relates to that money mindset is that we had probably 10 to 12 ships in the fleet when I was working there, okay? And those ships go out every single week. If they're not sailing, that means that they're in port picking up new passengers or dropping off new passengers, or they're in what we call like a dry dock where they're getting work done on the ship, which happens like once every couple years. So these, these ships are constantly sailing every single week, and these rooms almost never go empty. So you could have thousands of rooms every single week setting sail, and those rooms are almost never empty. They are always fully booked, okay? And even though when I was new selling cruises, I was usually selling inside rooms and ocean views and the occasional balcony, I realized that someone was selling these other rooms. There was a ton of balcony rooms. There was a ton of suites. We even had villas that would go for 50 to 100 grand in some weeks um, just for a single room. And these rooms were going filled every single week. So even though I wasn't selling them, someone else was. And even though I didn't know people that were buying them, someone was buying them. And that was the thing that really helped me turn the corner was, man, it's not just like a once a year thing that people are spending this money. It is week after week after week. There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are spending five, 10 or more thousand dollars per week to go on these cruises. So it, it really helped me turn the corner of understanding how like infinite this game is, how much money is there to be spent on these services, and that if we get caught up in the money, we limit our ability to help people. Because again, a lot of these people were not going on a cruise to save money. They were going on a cruise to spend money and have an unforgettable experience. And by trying to save that person money, you could be taking away from the real reason they came to you. The fourth big lesson that I learned from selling cruises, and this one is for you coaches out there, is that great employees do get preferential treatment. I'm gonna say that again, great employees do get preferential treatment. So it was common at NCL when you would be in the break room or you'd be talking to someone, you would hear this gossip occasionally. And when I first started out, it was very common for me to hear, you know, you gotta get on the manager's good side because you know, the managers like to feed certain people. They like to feed them better leads and they like to feed them more opportunities. And, you know, at first when I heard this stuff, I thought it was just people being negative or people focusing on stuff that was outside their control and that it probably wasn't true is that, you know, these people just weren't as good at selling. And that's the reason they thought that, you know, these other people who are having better success were getting fed and they were getting better opportunities. But I learned over time as I became a top performer myself that yes, in fact, top performers do get preferential treatment. And a lot of people don't like to hear that, but just think about that for a second. If I'm a manager, if I'm a gym owner at a gym and I'm overseeing a staff of people, if opportunities come to me, if I get a personal training client that wants to buy a big package, if I get uh, classes that open up, if I want to start a specialty program like nutrition or, or Olympic lifting or personal programming, if I want to do those things, 
who am I gonna have as the lead on those things? Is it gonna be the person that has let me down in the past, the employee that I can't trust? Or is it gonna be the employee that over delivers every time I ask them to do something? Of course it's gonna be that top performer that over delivers every time. So yes, there is preferential treatment in our cultures as gym owners in any corporate culture, but that preferential treatment is usually earned to some degree by a work ethic and a proven past. And if you're a coach out there, you might say, well, I don't have the opportunities to over deliver and my, my gym owner won't give me those opportunities so I can't show them what I'm capable of. Um, but that's not true. So everyone has opportunities. You might not have a ton of them and the way you get more opportunities is by over delivering in the ones that you have. One of my favorite quotes is how you do anything is how you do everything. And even people that don't know that quote usually subscribe to that quote, right? Even if a man, even if your manager or gym owner doesn't, isn't familiar with that quote, there's something subconscious in them that is going to give opportunities to the people that have um, fulfilled those things they've asked in the past. Okay. So if you're a coach, let's say you're a coach who wants to do more programming, right? You want to start taking on the programming at your gym. You want to start working with individual clients on programming and your boss has not given you those opportunities yet. Well, don't get stuck on the programming. Look at the things you're already doing. Most coaches already have opportunities where they're coaching classes. They already have opportunities where they're doing some kind of opening and closing duties or cleaning the gym. And they usually have some kind of opportunities as it relates to being at meetings, a weekly, a biweekly or a monthly meeting for the team. Okay. So when it comes to coaching, you could be that coach that is taking your classes with someone else prior to you coaching them. Okay. You coach the 9am class that day, you're in at 7am taking that class from one of your other coaches. So you can do a better job when it's your turn to coach. You could be on the floor 15 minutes before every class that you coach and 15 minutes after every class that you coach mingling with the members, learning about them and their goals after class, talking to them a little bit more, fulfilling your opening and closing duties, organizing dumbbells or kettlebells or cleaning the, the random corner of the room that never gets cleaned. Even something as simple as a coach's meeting is a chance for you to over deliver. So with your coach's meetings, you could show up and literally just show up on time, go through the motions, pretend that you're listening and then leave at the end of the meeting. But a great coach is going to come into that meeting with topics from the previous week or two, however long it's been since your last meeting, of things that they want to address in that meeting. Positive things that they saw that the team can build on, things that can be improved as a team, um, whether it be with themselves and that they're working on or with others that they feel like the team can aspire to improve upon. Another one of my favorite quotes out there is, you don't become a champion and then start acting like one. So a lot of coaches out there, a lot of employees out there in general are waiting for some higher up person to give them an opportunity before they start putting in the work. And it doesn't work that way because number one, you can't turn it on on a dime like that. You can't wait for something, some opportunity to come and then expect to have all these great habits to support your ability to stay there and do the job that's being asked of you. But number two is that your higher ups and your bosses are going to see right through this transactional nature that you have. Like you give me this and I'll give you that. Right? So a lot of people who, who are listening to this are going to say, well, I do over deliver and I don't get opportunities. And yes, you might've over delivered a couple times, but it takes time. You have to be patient. And the best thing you can have in this type of scenario is 
this really good work ethic which with a combination of patience all right and if you're at a position where there is nowhere to go there is no growth opportunity for you then it's time to look elsewhere but for most people that's not the case for most people just aren't patient enough or they haven't really consistently put in the work enough they can think of one or two scenarios where they've gotten above and beyond but they're not really uh, um, someone that the, that manager can count on time after time to go above and beyond so you need to be able to do things over and over and over and over again that's how you build that trust that's how you build that proven track record of being a top performer and then the last thing i want to leave you with guys is that there is a very small difference between being good at something being above average at something and being a top performer at something being great at something when i was in at ncl everyone there worked hard everyone there was putting in 45 50 sometimes low 50s hours per week especially during our busy season but the top people usually put in about 10 to 20 percent more hours or more effort into what they were doing they were a little bit more focused in terms of what they were doing but the thing is those people that put in 10 to 20 percent more effort or more time into their position they made sometimes three five or ten times more than those people who are just above average or good okay i'm going to say that again the reward for going up 10 to 20 percent in effort to make yourself a top performer can sometimes lead to three five or ten times the results that you get as someone who is just being above average okay so a lot of times when you're good at something and you feel that you're good at something you are right there knocking on the doorstep if you can put in that little extra effort okay not for a day not necessarily for a week not for a month but consistently month after month after month or for years at end sometime uh, as a gym owner or a business owner if you can put in that little extra effort uh, for a, a long enough time then you're going to see the re re rewards come back exponentially okay that's the compound effect that i've talked about in other podcasts before um, but that little bit of extra effort can come back to you so much greater and that's what a lot of people miss is that they feel like they're working hard they feel like they're spinning their wheels but they're that close to just kind of breaking through and hitting that next level so that's all i have for you guys today hopefully some of these lessons that have stuck with me over the years you find impactful for you as a coach or a gym owner moving forward and i'm curious if you're watching this on youtube please subscribe to the channel, but also leave me in the comments what one of your jobs is that's really stuck with you. Maybe it's your best or worst job that you've ever held and what some of those lessons are that have stuck with you guys over the years. I'll talk to you soon, guys. Have a great day.